Well, next month I will begin a preaching series through the Gospel of Matthew, which should last about one year. Uh, But for the next uh, four weeks, I have chosen four passages of Scripture, uh, or perhaps they've chosen me, uh, that I want to examine and consider uh, with you. This morning, the text is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 11. As you're turning to 2 Corinthians 1, this text uh, surfaced for me in a very providential way. Uh, two months ago, at the beginning of November, as our family headed out west to uh, Seattle, I reached out and met with a PCA pastor in the city of Issaquah. And in our first face-to-face meeting, he quoted from verses 8 and 9 of this text. That was two months ago. I've been meditating, wrestling, and allowing this text to work in me. Pastors usually don't get two months to think about one particular text like that, but it's been a blessing to do so. When he mentioned these words, I thought these words have are capturing the very way that God has been forming and working in me personally, and they capture what I desire for the ministry of the church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, 1 through 11. Listen now to God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for... It is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, We felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we have heard your word, that you would now sanctify us by your truth, uh, enlighten our minds in the knowledge of your Son, and Lord, cause us to be a people dependent upon Christ, his grace, his peace, and his comfort. In this we pray in his name. Amen. 
Uh, it has been said that a thousand sorrows prepare a preacher. I might say a thousand sorrows form every pastor, but it's not just pastors. A thousand sorrows form every Christian. Sorrow, suffering, affliction. We see it throughout the text here from Paul. A number of weeks ago, when I chose this text and my wife learned of it, she said, your first sermon is going to be on suffering? It's true, it may not be the most typical way to begin a new ministry, but not only do we see this theme pervade the Corinthian text, it has been the life theme of many Christians and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer, it's my hope for us that our faith, that our life and ministry together would be defined increasingly by the cross, the symbol of suffering. It's that picture which is to define our way of living and ministry more than anything else in Scripture. And this was Paul's experience, which is why he says at the end of Galatians, far be it for me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which I have been crucified to the world. The things of the world, worldliness, the attractions of the world, what the world has to offer, that's been crucified to me, and I've been crucified to it. And that was not only Paul's experience in ministry, it was not only Paul's life theme, it was the life theme of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaiah describes the Messiah as a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. So as we consider this text, let me begin by clearly stating the central point that I see emerge out of chapter 1 here in this passage. And it's this, God ordains suffering in our lives so that in learning to depend upon Him and His comfort, we will be living instruments of comfort to others. God ordains suffering in our lives to varying degrees so that we would learn to depend upon Him and not ourselves and be used as instrument of comfort to others. As you begin to read this text, the theme that actually emerges first is not the theme of suffering as is much the the theme of comfort. Uh, The word's repeated numerous times, so much so that some of the verses almost put you in a tongue twister. I think verse 4, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, that we can comfort those with the comfort with which we have been comforted. He uses the word ten times in just five verses. And it's the first thing that we see in this passage. Our God is a God of comfort, and He desires to comfort His people. That may be an obvious point if you know anything of the character of the God of the Bible. He is a God of comfort. He desires to comfort his people. But the question is, what does Paul mean by comfort here? What is the comfort that Paul has in mind? If you use the word comfort today in a conversation, oftentimes people's minds will naturally, immediately go to creature comforts. Creature comforts. Uh, To speak of comfort is to speak of a comfortable car, a comfortable uh, jacket, a comfortable pair of sneakers, or comfort foods. 
I don't know if Connecticut has comfort foods. I'd be interested to know. Maybe you could mention it after the service. Comfort, physical comforts. But let's remember who's writing these words. The Apostle Paul would not make the list of men who experienced a life of physical comfort. In fact, later in this letter that Paul wrote in chapter 11... He makes a list of his experiences and the sufferings that he's endured. In chapter 11, verse 24, five times he says, I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day adrift at sea. Frequent journeys in danger from rivers. Danger from robbers, danger from my own people, from Gentiles in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger, 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 in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from everything else, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety uh, for all the churches. And yet the same man speaks about sharing abundantly in the comfort of God in verse 5. What kind of comfort is Paul speaking about? Is this a comfort from mere uh, relief of physical calamity or, or physical pain? We might read Paul's experience here of hardship as something simply too difficult for us to relate to. How many of us can relate to his 40 lashes His beating with rods, his stoning, regular dangers, adrift at sea. Perhaps this message of comfort is more for those in places and circumstances of extreme hardship. Those needs that uh, might be related more to what we would see in the third world. Two summers ago, uh, my family and I had the privilege of serving on a short mission in Uganda, Africa. One of the daughters of our church is in Uganda. And while we were there, I asked a young man, about age 30, one of the relatives of my Ugandan pastor friend, and I asked him, how would you define Ugandan culture? What are people living for here in Uganda? What describes Ugandan people? He said, after thinking for just a moment, survival. One word, survival. People are simply trying to survive. And you drive around the country, and indeed, many, many poor people. It's not just there. It's around many parts of Africa and around many parts of the world. We might see Paul's words of comfort here to simply mean the removal of hardship or relief from poverty or some kind of change out of a hard circumstance, deliverance from a trial, But it's not the comfort Paul's speaking about. I think it involved that, a deliverance from hardship. He makes note of that in verse 10. God had delivered him from a peril. But the word for comfort here that Paul uses carries much more the meaning of God's presence and peace through affliction. In the midst of suffering than it does from hardship. In fact, the word comfort here is in the Greek, parakaleo, paraclete. 
It's the same root word Jesus used in John 14 as he promised to give his his disciples another helper, a parakaleo, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. I will not leave you as orphans. I will be with you. This comfort that Paul's speaking about is a comfort of God's presence with his people, that peace, security, and encouragement and help in the midst of suffering or affliction or hardship. But the message here in, in First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1 really begins to deepen at this point. Because not only does God desire to minister comfort to his people, but he does so in the context of his ordained suffering for his people. He desires to minister comfort, but he does that in the environment of his ordained suffering. He says in verse 5 that we share abundantly in God's comfort as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. What does Paul mean? Not that Christ's sufferings were somehow insufficient or incomplete, as if his atoning death was incomplete. Not at all. Rather, his suffering becomes the very model and the environment for his people to know and experience his comfort, a God-filled life. Uh, Paul's life was filled and marked by suffering. From the very beginning of his call in Acts chapter 9, Jesus said to him, I will show how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And we see this suffering that Paul endures even in his relationship with the church. I think it's fair to say that Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church was the hardest relationship that he had with any church that we know of in the New Testament. There was tension. We remember it was Paul himself, along with Priscilla and Aquila, who had founded the church in Corinth, recorded in Acts chapter 18 during his second missionary journey. Paul had spent longer in in Corinth than any other uh, city, with the exception of Ephesus, 18 months. But upon his departure, he came to learn of the increasing troubles taking place within the congregation there. They were not only experiencing divisions within leadership, a very licentious way of life. There were disputes within the body. But the church, or many of the brothers and sisters, questioned Paul himself. They questioned Paul's message, and they questioned Paul's rights, his apostleship, his character. Now, why was this the case? Well, for one, the city of Corinth was known as a destination place for traveling speakers, orators, lecturers. It was a hot spot for traveling speakers, promoting their various ideas, worldviews, entertaining people with their Uh, skilled uh, speech and rhetoric. And not only did these traveling speakers charge money for attendance, kind of like perhaps today if you were to go to a conference, but the better you were, the greater reputation you had, the more money you charged. Well, here comes Paul. How much is he charging for the message he's communicating? Zero. Nothing. He's not charging anything 
for this gospel message centered on this Messiah who has come. To live, to be crucified, to be risen. Some of the Corinthians wondered, how good could Paul's message actually be if he's charging nothing? It's free. But they not only questioned his message, they questioned his character. Because what apostle suffers so much? Can we trust a man who is so often opposed by others? What if we get too close? Can we trust him? What if that happens to us? The relationship was tenuous between the church in Corinth and Paul. No wonder Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2, just a chapter later, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Now, the Corinthians needed to learn that in order to experience God's comfort, they must see his purpose of suffering and hardship in their life. So he says in verse 6, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort. It's for your comfort and salvation. Verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Comfort and suffering, they're inextricably linked together. He ordains and purposes trials and sufferings in our lives so that we might know true peace and security. That it comes not through our circumstances, it comes through Him. And many, many are the sufferings and trials that we might endure. I don't know what sufferings, what hardships, you individually or We as a congregation have endured or are now even enduring a physical ailment, anxiety, deep discouragement, brokenness in a family, loneliness, a besetting sin, the loss of a loved one. But this becomes the actual environment in which God seeks to minister his comfort to us. Not to have a trial-free life or a burden-free life, but we would know the one who makes our burden light, who carries our burdens and gives us peace. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century Calvinist preacher, was not only one of the most influential theologians in American history, but one of the most godly men the church has known. And yet less known, but no less godly, was his wife. Sarah. And soon after, Jonathan Edwards was appointed as president within weeks, president of the College of New Jersey, later to be named Princeton. He received an inoculation for smallpox, something that was new on the scene at the time. And he was given too much of a dose. It caused such an illness spreading to his mouth and throat. He could no longer swallow, and it led to his death. And when Sarah... His wife found out, as she wrote these words to one of their daughters, words that have come down to us in history, Sarah writing to one of their children, My dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. The Lord has done it. He's made me adore his goodness that we had him so long. But my God lives, and he has my heart. 
Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God. And there I am, and I love to be. She understood suffering. She understood loss. You think about her words. For many people, those words would almost be a contradiction. A good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Sarah understood God is not only good, but he ordains suffering. And it is into his hands that we are to offer our hearts because he has purposes at work in that suffering. And here in Corinthians, the purpose is this. It's why this passage has been so impressed upon my heart. Verse 8. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What a profound statement that Paul's making. True life in Jesus Christ comes through death. Think about Paul's thought. He says, we were so utterly burdened. It's the word bereo, weighted down. And it's the, an illusion or suggests the picture of a sunken ship. So burdened, so weighted down, like a ship at the bottom of the sea. Such a burden, he says, that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever felt that? Despaired of life itself. John Calvin, in his comments on these words, says, The word for despair is better understood as a trembling anxiety. He says Paul, that Paul was hemmed in by the greatest difficulties that no means of preserving life seemed to remain. He truly believed his life was coming to an end. No wonder, Paul says in verse 9, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Sentence of death, that's the image of a courtroom. Paul's suffering was so great, he felt as if a judge had just pronounced and decreed him a death sentence. The suffering was so great, so real, death was staring Paul down. And yet, this is where everything turns. This is where life emerges. This is where the gospel emerges in this text. It's where we see the gospel relevant, not only for those who are outside of Christ, if you do not know Christ, but is relevant for each and every one who is in Jesus Christ. Paul says in the end, uh, the end of verse 9, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. But that was to make us rely on Him. What is that? It's the affliction. It's the burden. It's the suffering. 
It's the staring death in the face that had a significant central purpose to make us rely not on ourselves, but on Him who is able to create life out of death. To make us dependent. See, the message of of the Gospel is that in the death of Jesus Christ, I have died too. The old nature, the sin nature is put to death. Paul captures that in one of the most profound statements in the New Testament in Galatians 2. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That truth, that gospel message, Paul, notice, is continuing to apply and appropriate in his life as a servant of the Lord. Suffering, various trials, they serve the purpose of bringing us to the end of ourselves. That's what he's getting at. What's at the end of ourselves? The Lord Himself. Him who is able to raise the dead. Paul's not talking about the resurrection here at the end of history. He's talking about God's ability and capacity to give and create life in the face of what looks like death. Whatever that circumstance might be. Our God is a God of resurrection. He raised Jesus from the dead. He raises men and women from the death of sin to the life of righteousness. He will raise all at the end of the consummation of history. And He's able to raise and deliver us in the face of affliction. And that's what Paul is driving home. Whatever you may be facing, whatever we have or will face or experience as a congregation in this next week or this next year, my prayer is that we would know this kind of dependence. Coming to the end of ourselves. Not relying on ourselves, but on Him. Paul's words here are driving us to the cross. To a cruciformed way of life. Where we come to the end of ourselves and to Him who gives life. And so the Christian life is a life of the cross. Jesus' words in Luke 9 capture it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. When the disciples heard this, I'm confident they really struggled to grasp it. Picking up a cross. The cross was not only a symbol of public shame, uh, the Romans' means of torture and execution, but what happens on crosses? Crosses are where people suffer and die. It's where people are put to death. And yet this is a symbol or a central symbol Jesus uses and what Paul has just written and expressed here to describe what it means to follow after Christ. And at the end of ourselves is the comfort of God. His peace. His sufficient grace. However great is our burden, our sin, our brokenness, the grace and comfort of Christ is greater still. And when we come to the end of ourselves... Each and every day, 
Not only do we meet with the comfort and peace of Christ, but it's then that he begins to use us as instruments of comfort one to another. Verse 4, he comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are comforted to be a comfort. And as we come to share in the Lord's Supper, we are drawn to Him who for our comfort, for our peace, for our redemption, willingly suffered and was crucified. Through His death, we have life. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that these words, your word, would be true for us. That we would learn dependence by your grace. Dependence not on ourselves, but on him who raises the dead. So that Christ would be glorified. And that we would be sanctified as Christ followers. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.